Luke chapter 9, verse 10, starting in verse 10. It says, Jesus took them, the disciples, and he withdrew, they withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured them who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, took, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left was picked over, what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, you know that I had already planned to preach this message before the events of this week took place. And I know, Lord, that there has been a shortage of goods, a shortage of things that we need for everyday life and to maintain health. And I don't think it's a coincidence, Lord, that weeks ago you, you led me to plan to preach this message today. And God, I believe that there is a word that you have for everyone in the room. God, I don't think it's an accident or a coincidence that on a day when a lot of churches aren't having church, that this is probably our highest attendance in several weeks. Lord, I believe it's because there are people in the room that need to hear this message, that need this word, that need to hear what you have to say to them in this season. And so, God, would you, I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit, to help, me to help me preach this word. We need you, Holy Spirit, to hear this word. Lord, and help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word today, that we would walk in this kind of living. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're the God. You're, you're the Savior. You're the Lord that we can give you our little, and you can return back to us much. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. That's true. I, I had planned this message uh, several weeks ago, and as I was looking at it this week and seeing that nobody could buy toilet paper, I was thinking about how uh, it's just funny how the Lord works and that this story of just having a little bit, but someone in this story, in other Gospels, it says that there was a little boy that was here who just cared. He was the only one that thought ahead and thought to bring a lunch with him. And he brought this lunch and he said, this is all I've got, but I'll give this to you. And instead of the world system around us right now that's hoarding everything for ourselves, this story is talking about giving what little we have and watching God do something miraculous with it. You know, I, I want to be a generous person. I want to be a generous person. I want our church to be a generous church. I believe we are a generous church. I want to be the guy that when, I, when they put me in the ground 
that they would say he would give you the shirt off his back if he needed it. You don't even know the kind of stuff that he gave away. You don't even know how generous he was. He gave it. I, I want to be that kind of person that that just I have that reputation about myself. Not because not because I, I want that for me, but because I want to live like Jesus. I want to live the way God's called. I want to be able to say I didn't have any material possession as my idol and that I was willing to let anything go that the Lord called me to give. And, and, and I want to do that, and I ask God to make me more like that. But if I was honest with you, I'm not a very generous person in my core. <laughs> if, if Katie and I are going somewhere to get a snack or, a, or a, a treat or some ice cream or we're getting dessert or something, and there's always this conversation, are you going to get something too? You know, that, that's what we talk about. And here, here's my motive with that. When I say, are you going to get something too? I want to know is she going to have enough for herself or is she going to pick off of mine? Because if she's picking off of mine, she needs to order her own. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's how I am. Like, no, it, if we're getting something, you're getting something too because this one's mine. You know, like, that, that's in my nature, in my core, who I am. I'm like, this is mine and you can't have any of my ice cream and you can't have any of my dessert because this is mine. You know, and it's worse when you have a, an 18 month old because she wants everything that's on your plate, you know, and I'm like, this is mine. I paid for this. <laughs> you know, you get a job, you can have it. You know, like, and, and so I, I'm just like that in my flesh, in my, in, in my core, I am not the most generous person. And I realize more and more as being married and as being a dad, how selfish I really can be. I, I hold on to material possessions too much. I, I want things. I, it's something that I've gotten better about, and it's something by the grace of God that he's given me the ability to, to be generous and to give and to and, and, and do what I need to do to, to be a generous person. But sometimes, though, I, I just still go back to that. I, I, I struggle with giving. I have this overwhelming sense sometimes that if I give something away, there won't be enough left over for me. You know, and that... That, that's what we all kind of struggle with, it. this idea that, that if I give it away, God won't take care of me. You know, I, I, that's why people are going out in the stores and they're hoarding stuff and they're, they're buying stuff and then trying to sell it for more money and, and price gouge people. It's because they have this, if I don't get it now, there won't be enough for me, that I, I don't have the faith to believe God's going to take care of me. And so I'm afraid to, to give what I have away. I'm afraid to, to share. I'm afraid to, to, to not go in and hoard things because I feel like I have to have enough for me. And I love this story because it tells just kind of a, a totally different kind of way of living than this kind, of, this kind of selfishness. Luke 9, he says, The day had begun to wear away. The twelve came and said to him, the, the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, Send the crowd away. Send them to go to their own villages, to find a hotel to stay at, to find a waffle house somewhere where they can get some food. Send them there because we're in a desolate place. We're in Belleville. There's nowhere to eat. There's nowhere to go. You know, there, there, There's nothing to, to do here. And so we're out in the middle of nowhere and these people are going to get hungry. And so the, the, it's the obvious problem. There's no Taco Bell. There's no Arby's five for five dollar roast beef sandwiches that you can just go and get and feed everybody really cheap. There, there's there's nowhere. There's not even stuff to pick in the fields. They're in the middle of nowhere. There's not even uh, a fruit to eat that they can pick or anything. And there's a minimum, a minimum of five thousand people there because they only counted the men. I'm sorry, ladies. That's just the way it was back then. It's not right, but that's just the way it was. They only counted the men. If every man had a woman with him, you're talking about ten thousand people there. And if they had a kid with them, you're talking maybe fifteen thousand people out in the wilderness, out in the countryside, no Taco Bell, 
no Arby's, no Waffle House, and they're going to get hungry, and there's no place to stay, and there's no place to feed their bellies, and people need to be fed. They said they're hungry. It's getting late in the day. The sun's going down. They're going to get tired. We're in a desolate place, and there's nowhere for them to eat. So the disciples, they come to Jesus. What are we going to do? You've got to send them away. You've got you to tell them go somewhere else. You've got to tell them to, 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 to stop listening to you talk. This is what's really happening. He's the preacher, and he's preached past 12 noon. That's what's really happening here. They're going to Jesus. Say, Shut up, Jesus, so that we can send these people away to get food because they're going to get grumpy, and we're going to have to listen to them complain, and we're going to have to deal with it. And so they come to Jesus, and they say, people need to be fed. As a pastor, I have learned that there will always be someone who comes to you who sees a need and then expects you to do something about it. As a pastor, I've seen that. Man, hey, pastor, we, you really need to do something about that. We, we really need to figure this out. We, there's a problem over here, and, and what are we going to do about it? And how are you going to fix it? And what, are, what, are, what is our church going to do? And all those kinds of things. And there's always somebody who sees a need but then comes to you expecting you to do something about it. And there, I love what you need to do is, <laughs> I love that one. What you really need to do is, and that's what they're doing to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, there's a need. They don't come to him with any, you know, kind of solution or anything. They just say, just send him away, and they'll be fine. They don't need to hear you speak. They don't need to hear about the kingdom of God. They don't need to be healed. They don't need to be delivered. They need to eat. That's what's most important right now is it's past 12 o'clock. Let church out so the people can go eat. But then I love what he says, verse 13. He just looks at them, and he says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Jesus simply said, he, he said, why don't you do it? Why don't you meet their need? Instead of coming to me with their need, why don't you go meet their need? You don't need to send them away. You need to take care of them is what he's saying. Listen, when God allows you to see the need of a neighbor, he expects us to do something about it. When we see a need, of a neighbor, God expects us to do something about it. When we see a need of a neighbor, God expects us, the church, to do something about it. When we see needs in our community, when we see needs of, our, of people living down the road, down the street from us, when we see needs of people in other nations who are without the gospel and they don't have food to eat and they're food insecure, he expects us to do something about it. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ like these men were, when you come to the Lord in prayer and you say, Lord, there is this major need of this person in my life, this family member in my life, this person down the road, this person I work with, he re responds. If you listen to him in prayer, this is, will be his response. Why don't you give him something to eat? If he allows you to become aware of a need of a neighbor, he expects you to do something about it. But listen to this. second part of this is when God allows you to see the need of your neighbor, he will always give you the resources you need to meet that need. He will always give you the resources to meet that need. Now, that's where faith steps in. That's where faith says, I can hand you my lunch. I can hand you my my my." bread and, and my fish sandwich, and I can trust you with it, Lord, because I know that if there's a need and I have something that can contribute to that need, 
that you will find a way to give me the resources to meet that need. That's where faith steps in. This is what we're trying to do as a church family. We, this is why we're having Lifeline Recovery Ministry in Yale County, because there is a need for people who are struggling with substance abuse and addiction. And if we see that need and we sit back and don't do anything about it, we're just like these disciples. This is why when people come and, and say, you know, uh, or, or we see a need of, of people who are trapped in a cycle of poverty and a mindset of poverty. This is why we're looking at starting a, a ministry called Getting Ahead to help people find a way out of poverty, not just a budgeting class, but to help change the mindset and the culture of our community so that this isn't a culture, a community culture of poverty anymore, but this is a community culture of prosperity in our, in our community. That's why we have the resources. We have the know-how. We know the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know the one who can transform hearts and lives. We know the one who's strong enough to break every chain of addiction. And if we see a need in our community around us and we do nothing about it, why have church? He expects us to do something about it when we see a need, and he will always give us the re- We believe. We step out in faith. We don't have the money yet. We don't have enough yet, but we're going to step out. I don't have enough volunteers to facilitate Lifeline Ministry yet, but I'm stepping out. I don't have enough volunteers to, to, to see this Bridges Out of Poverty ministry get started, but I'm stepping out in faith and believing God's going to do it. I don't have enough money to build a bigger building for us to, tr- to care for kids on Wednesday nights and feed them, but I'm going to step out in faith, and one of these days, we're We're going to break ground out here, and we're going to see something because I believe that there's needs in this community, and if he called me here, and if he called you to this church, that means that he's expecting us to do something about the needs, and listen, that's just the doorway in. Filling their belly is just the doorway in. Helping them get free from addiction is just the doorway in because their real need is they need a Savior. Their real need is they need Jesus. Their real need is they need hope for eternity. And so we find the felt need that they have. They're feeling the need for freedom from addiction. They're feeling the need for freedom from poverty. And once we meet that need, then we say, here's how we did it. We stepped out in faith and we believed that Jesus would provide for us. We believed that Jesus would do what we needed, give us what we needed so that we could do this. And he will do that for you too. It is the doorway we use to reach people with the gospel. Amen? They said to him, he said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we're to go out and buy food for all the people, wonder if they kind of got together and counted their money first. They looked in their pockets and said, you know, I don't know if we can afford food for 5,000 people. I'm not sure how that works. Or what if they did have it, but they didn't want to spend it? says, we don't have enough or unless we're to go buy food for all these people, for there are 5,000 men. You have the people that come, and they bring you a need and say, Pastor, you need to do something about it, and we've we got to do something about this. We've got to fix this. There, there's, there's always that person that has that. And then they say, but we don't have anything, but there's not enough. We don't have enough money. I'm so busy. I don't have enough time to help out with that ministry. I, you know, I, I, we need to do something about it. Somebody's got to do something about it, but I don't have enough time to do it. I only have this much love to give, Pastor, and I've tapped out this week, and I can't love anybody else because it's been hard at home. It's been hard at work. That coworker's been getting on my nerves. I don't have any more love to give. I don't have enough talent. I can't sing well enough. I don't have enough courage to get out there and do that and knock on people's doors and invite them to church. There's not enough courage inside of me. I don't know enough of the Bible to teach a Sunday school class I don't know enough of the Bible to come on Wednesday nights and help lead kids ministry. And there's always an excuse that we don't have enough. 
Whatever it might be, there's always an excuse. There was nothing special about the loaves and the fish that that little boy brought to lunch that day. Nothing special about it at all. He just was the only one smart enough out of 5,000 people to think to bring a lunch. He brought his fish sandwich out there. There's nothing special about it. All it was was a packed lunch. There's nothing. It has nothing to do at all with how, how little you have or how much you have. You just simply have to hand it over. See, it wasn't about how much he had. It wasn't about did he bring enough for himself and maybe to share with someone else. It just was, are you willing to hand it over to the Lord? Are you willing to give it to Jesus and trust him with it? That little bit of love that you have, are you willing to give it to him to use to love your community? That little bit of faith that you have, are you willing to step out and give towards something at this ministry? That little bit of time that you might have at the end of your day, could you, could you find a way to go share some love with someone or, or take food to somebody who needs it or share with them? That little bit of time you have, but you got plenty of time to watch Netflix and binge a whole series on Netflix, but that little bit of time you have to go and, and, and share and be part of a group or lead a ministry or be here on Wednesday nights or come to prayer service on Sunday evening, whatever it is, that little bit, if you would just hand it over to the Lord, that little bit that you have, it doesn't matter how much you have, it matters are you willing to let it go. He said to his disciples, they said, we don't have enough. All we've got is this little bit of fish and this little bit of bread. And he says, go have them sit down in groups of 50. Go have them sit down. I, I just, you know, we don't even have 50 people here today. I would love one day that one day we're feeding 5,000 people in this community. I would love one day where there's 5,000 people in, within a 20-mile radius of here that they're finding freedom and hope from addiction and stuff. And we just say we're going to make small groups all over this county and all over this community. And we're going to do what we can. And we're going to recruit people to become leaders and facilitators to host these groups. I would love the problem of saying I don't have enough to feed 5,000 people. He said to his disciples, had them sit down in groups of 50 each, and they did so. And he had them all sit down. In verse 16, watch this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing over them. We're going to talk about the blessing for a second. They said, he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples who sat before the crowd. When you bring whatever you have to Jesus, he always blesses it. We've been talking about the table this, this month and, and leading up to Easter. And this time, this meal that Jesus shares in the gospel isn't sat at a table, but they're out having a picnic. But the principle is the same. When you come to Jesus' table and you bring what you have, he always blesses what you bring. He takes what has been given no matter how small. You just gave him the offering. If you just gave a quarter, he blessed that quarter. If you just gave a penny, he blessed that penny. He takes what you give him, common or plain or small or minuscule, and he blesses it. But here's the key. It cannot be blessed in your hand. It has to be put in the hands of Jesus in order to receive the blessing. He won't bless it until you give him possession of it. Whether that's your tithe and offering that you just gave, he blesses your finances when you release your finances to him and say he's Lord over your finances. Whether that's your child and when you come and we do baby dedications here and you say, I'm releasing this child into God's hands and I'm committing myself to raise this child in a godly household and to raise this child in the faith. When you say, I'm giving my child to the Lord, he blesses that child. 
When you give your marriage to the Lord and you say, you know what, this isn't my marriage, this is Jesus' marriage. We talked about relationships all last month, and you make Jesus the center of your relationship, and you say, Jesus is the Lord of this relationship, and he's at the center of this relationship. And it's not just two people, there's three people in this marriage, and it's, it's Jesus at the center of it, and he's the Lord of my household. When you say, God, this household is yours, this marriage is yours, my relationship is yours, and you give it to him instead of it being about what you can get out of the marriage and then being about what you can give him in the marriage, that's when he possesses it, and that's when he begins to bless it. Your future. If you want your future to be blessed, you have to submit your future to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I'll go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll submit my plans to you, my purposes to you, my hopes and dreams I will give to you, Lord. And if you will do that to the Lord, and you'll make that commitment before the Lord that wherever you call, I will go, and whatever you ask of me, I will do, and whoever you call me to, I will go to them. If you give him your future, he'll bless your future, but he won't bless it until you give it to him. That's good preaching, y'all. If you don't hand it to him, nothing will happen. We want God to bless us. We want him to bless our possessions. We want God to bless our, our, our relationships. But seldom are we really willing to give him ownership. And if that's the case, the blessing won't happen. The blessing happened when the little boy brought his lunch to Jesus, to the disciples, and he said, I brought this for me. And I made sure to bring enough for me, and y'all are stupid for not bringing enough for you, but I'm going to give this anyway because I trust the Lord that I've been listening to teach about the kingdom and I, that I came out here to listen to, and I trust the Lord who just healed the sick, and I watched him lay his hands on people, and they recovered, and so this is all I have, but I'm going to give it to you. And he said that that's when the blessing happened, when it left that little boy's hands and went into the hands of Jesus. The blessing happened. But watch what happens after that. Go back to that verse up there, uh, verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, Jesus holding and said a blessing over them, and then he broke the loaves. He broke the loaves. When you come to the Lord's table and you give what you have at the table, when you give what you have to the Lord, he will bless it. But when you come to the Lord's table, he will also break it. There's a breaking that takes place at the Lord's table. Anything he decides to bless to bless must also be broken. Anything he decides to bless must also be broken. God always does it this way. Now, at first, this isn't very comforting. You give him your life and he breaks it. You give him your, your I mean, there, there's a breaking process. It's not comforting at first. We assume that we have to be whole for God to use us. We assume that I can come and bring my offering to the Lord when it's big enough, when it's whole enough. I can give my life to the Lord, and I can start living for the Lord when I get my act together, when I get it all right, and when I'm all together. But no, God only uses the broken. It's the way he does things. It's the way his kingdom works. He only uses the broken. If you want God to use you to reach addicts in this community, your heart's got to break for him. If you want God to use you to, to minister to children in this community, your heart has to begin to break for them. If you want God to use you to see people, children in your classroom come to the Lord, your heart has to break for what their spiritual condition is right now. If you're cold-hearted to it and you're, and you're stone-hearted toward their situation, God can't use that. But when you allow the Lord to break your heart, 
over the sinfulness of people around you, over the suffering of people around you. That's when God begins to use you. God only uses the broken. And if you're not broken, God may break you more. And we have to be willing to come to the Lord and say, God, break my heart for the community around me. Break my heart for for my children. Break my heart for my neighborhood. Break my heart for my church. Make it so that I'm, I'm feeling the heart of God and the hurt of God over people who are suffering, who are trapped in addiction, who are in bondage, who need help. Break my heart. Break my heart like your heart is broken, God. Oftentimes we have good intentions and we want God to do something to see things get better and people around us, but we're not willing to let him break our heart over it. God only uses the broken. Why? Because you have to be broken before you can be distributed. The breaking makes you more useful. Those few loaves never would have been multiplied until they were broken. The bread wasn't useful until it was broken and distributed. The bread couldn't be distributed until it was broken into pieces. I can't help other people until I allow myself to get broken. And if it weren't for my experiences in life, if it weren't for the things that bro- that broke me, the things that humbled me, the things that brought me to my face before the Lord, if it weren't for those things, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. I wouldn't have the influence I had today. I wouldn't have seen the miracles I've seen in my lifetime. I wouldn't have seen the young men that I've seen come to the Lord, I wouldn't see the things that have happened. It's it's amazing what happens when you allow God to break you and when you allow God to use your brokenness. Sometimes we, we, we're so afraid of being broken. We're so afraid of things uh, going wrong and we're so afraid of pain that we become cold to other people's pain and we just live life in a fog, not really understanding what's going on around us. This is how, this is how in our culture, we can get to a place where we can say, we, we begin to look at people who are struggling maybe with addiction or they're in poverty or, or they have chronic illness or that kind of thing, and we can kind of look down our nose at them. And we can kind of say, well, they just need to do this, that, and that, and they'll, they'll just be better, and they just need to quit, and they need to do it. And we haven't allowed ourselves to experience the pain that they've experienced. And so instead of saying, I'm going to join them in their pain and in their suffering, I'm going to find out what's really going on, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to lead me deep into that situation where I can make a difference, we just stay cold to it, and we say, well, out of sight, out of mind. And I just won't live in that neighborhood, and I just won't deal with those kinds of people, and, you know, I'll just drive by when I see that, and I I won't do anything about it. It's because we haven't allowed the Lord to break our heart over what their situation really is, and instead we stand in judgment over them instead of identifying with their pain and with what's going on in their lives. He blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. When you come to Jesus' table, yes, he will bless what you give him. He will break what you give him but you will receive more than you gave. I love this. Jesus does the breaking, and the bread begins to multiply, and the fish begins to multiply in his hands as he begins to break it. But who distributed it? Who handed the food out? His disciples. They brought him what little bit they had. They brought him what little bit they could do. He blessed it. He broke it, and then he gave it back to them. The disciples gave the food to the crowds. Jesus says, I'll do the breaking, you do the feeding. I'll break your heart, 
for the people around you, for the lost souls around you, for people who need Jesus, for people who need hope, who need a future. I'll break your heart for them, but then you go and fulfill them. You go and satisfy them with my bread, bread of life. You take to them what I have given them. Once Jesus blessed and broke the bread, he gave it to the disciples to feed the crowd. Once you give something to Jesus, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it back to you to use in your life and to serve others. Listen, you always leave Jesus' table with more than you brought. Every time. Every time. Jesus calls us to be servants, to give of ourselves, to help others. Servants have to be submissive. They have to give up their rights. That's what it means to hand the thing over to Jesus, to hand your life over to him, to hand your possessions over to him, to hand whatever material thing you have, your life, your family over to him. You hand it over to him. That's you submitting to him, saying it's yours and not mine, and it's yours to do with whatever you please. And then he blesses it, and yes, there's, sometimes there's a breaking process, and it, sometimes it's not not very comfortable, but if you will stick it out through the breaking process, you will find that he will give you back more than you ever gave to him. The disciples were supposed to serve the people. Jesus told them so. If God tells you to do a thing, he will always give you the resources you need to accomplish it. Here's the problem. This is where faith takes place. We have a sneaking suspicion that if we give something to Jesus, that he'll snatch it from us and there won't be enough left over. Jesus asked, hey, will you give me your lunch? If it was me, if I was that little boy and say, hey, will you give me my Why? Why would I give you my lunch? I thought ahead. I planned. My wife packed this for me. Why would I, what if I give you this, what will be left over for me? It's like we're scared that the Lord will steal our steal whatever it is from us, steal our time from us, steal our, our money from us, steal our relationships from us, that he won't take care of us if we give it to him. It's like sometimes we think that God's just going around stealing candy from babies, like that this is the idea that we have of who God is. But because I think that way and because we have those suspicions and because we have those fears, we develop the attitude of I'll only give when I feel satisfied that I have enough. That's the definition of greed. Because here's the problem with that line of thinking. I'll only give when I feel like I have enough. If I do that, it's a circular problem because we never feel like we have enough. We never feel like we're satisfied. Billionaires want more billions. They, no, no billionaire is just satisfied. They, they want more billions. My flesh always wants more. When I'm not giving of myself to God, only trying to save everything for me, I never find satisfaction. That's why Jesus said, if you drink of my water that I offer you, you'll never thirst again. You keep trying to hoard all this stuff for yourself, and you're always going to want more. But if you start to drink of my water, the water of life, the river of life that I give you, you'll, there'll always be enough. There'll always be more for you. But this attitude, I'll give when I feel satisfied that I have enough. I never have enough, and so then I never give. I never, I never give my lunch to Jesus. I never give my life to Jesus. I never give my children to Jesus. I never give my marriage to Jesus because it's, it's for me, and it's not for him. And we live a life of perpetual dissatisfaction. Listen to the end of the story. He broke the loaves, verse 16. He gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
and were satisfied. One person, if he hadn't given that lunch over, he might have been satisfied. But one person handing his lunch over to Jesus, handing whatever little thing he had to Jesus, his little bit of time, his little bit of love, his little bit of faith, his little bit of, uh, of, uh, of effort. One person giving that little bit, and possibly 15,000 people were satisfied. When we give to Jesus, he gives us so much more in return. We always leave with more than we came with. When we give our earthly life to Jesus, when we surrender our life and become a Christian, we give him 80 years, he gives us eternity. He always gives more than we ever could give him. When we give our little bit of love and worship to Jesus, what does he do? He turns it back into infinite, unconditional, everlasting love. We give our meager talents and gifts to Jesus. We, you know, every one of us has a measure of talent in something or a, a gift at something. We give him that little bit that we have that we have to offer. And what does he do? He turns around and he offers us supernatural and spiritual gifts, words of wisdom and knowledge, prophetic words, gifts of healing, things that we could never do on our own. We give him our little bit of willingness and he gives us all of that back in return. See, whenever we give anything to him, he gives us something way better back. We give financially, you know, every week we take an offering, we give and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you this little bit. I am a walking testimony that when you give to the Lord, he blesses your finances and he takes care of you. And there are people in this room that I know from private conversations that would say the same thing. We could have a testimony service right now of how did you, how did the Lord provide for you financially when you gave just what little bit you had? The truth is we're scared to give the Lord our lunch, but if we do, there will be more leftovers than there was lunch to begin with. The end of the story says there was 12 basketfuls left over of food. What had been just a little white paper sack lunch had turned into 12 basketfuls of leftovers for the ride home. Luke 17.33 says, Whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Fill in the blank. Whoever would seek to save his lunch will lose it, but whoever seeks to lose his lunch gets to keep it. Whoever seeks to preserve his money will lose it, but whoever seeks to give his money will preserve it. Whoever seeks to preserve his marriage might lose it, but whoever gives his marriage over to the Lord, the Lord will preserve it. Whatever it might be, Whoever seeks to preserve his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. If you just seek to save what little bit you have, eventually it will rot, it will die, it will, it will waste away. But if you seek to give up what you have and you give it to the Lord and trust the Lord with it, he will preserve it, and he'll return a blessing. He'll magnify and multiply it. We're talking about the table leading up to Easter, the table of the Lord, the ten times in Luke's gospel where Jesus shares a meal with someone. Today he shares a meal with 5,000 men and his disciples. And we're going to see over the next several weeks that the table of the Lord is not just a place where we come to receive, but the table is an altar 
where we leave our flesh and we receive his flesh. We leave our life and we take up his. We lose our life at the table and we receive his life in the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and poured out. It's so easy to cling so tightly to what we have. Hold on to our little packed, sacked lunch with clenched fists and white knuckles, holding on to it tight, afraid someone's going to take it. No one's going to take my lunch away. I'm going to hold on to it so tight, whatever it might be. And meanwhile, the Lord is standing in front of you waiting to give you a whole basket full. He's got 12 baskets full ready to give you, and you're holding on to your one little paper sacked lunch. The problem with holding something too tightly is that our hands are close to receiving something much greater. I can't receive until I've emptied my hands. I can't get back from God until I've released what's in my hands. I can't receive what he has for me until I open my hands. When we cling too tightly to things in this life, to our own preferences, our own pride, our own, our own needs, when we cling too tightly to our own toilet paper in the grocery store, whatever, when we cling too tightly, we are not in a position of open hands to receive a blessing. I want to leave you with a final thought. How much have you missed receiving from God in the past because you weren't willing to let something go? What are you holding on to? What are some things that you're clinging so tightly to that it's preventing you from receiving from the Lord? What does God want to use in you that you're not willing to give him? A talent, a gift, your time, your, your money, your abilities, your, 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 just, your presence, whatever it might be. And ultimately, this is how salvation works. This is how if you're not in right relationship with the Lord, this is how it works. You give him your life, and he gives you eternal life. You give him your sin, and he gives you forgiveness and mercy. That's the way it works. You give him what little bit of stuff that you have that you call your life and that compared to his holiness, the Bible says it's like dirty rags, but he receives that dirty rags as a, those dirty rags as a gift, and he loves them, and he possesses them, and he clings to them, and instead he returns it. He washes you white as snow. He purifies you by the blood of the lamb. He rescues you. He lifts you up. See, it's always a good economic deal with Jesus. You give him your little bit, it's always a good investment with Jesus. You give him what you have, and it's always a blessing in return. It's always that way.